Good morning again. I just want to begin by thanking uh, Sean for his message last week. Uh, through the word he preached uh, from Psalm 93, I, I grew in my ability to trust in the Lord Yahweh who reigns at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. I found this uh, word from the Lord through Sean extremely helpful for me. I hope you did as well as we continue to face difficulty in our country and our world to know with certainty that in the midst of these uh, uh, metaphorical floods of political unrest, financial difficulty, disease, even death, to know that God is always on the throne, that God is always reigning, that Yahweh's plans, His purposes will never be thwarted, that His power is by far greater than anything, anyone who's ever been or ever will be. Knowing and believing these truths means that, that we, His people, can rest in Him when all around us uh, seems to be in a state of unrest. Again, Sean, thanks for those words of truth that we all continually need to hear and believe. Amen? So, okay. So after a six-week, wow, a six-week break from, for Christmas, for Sean's message last week, today we return to our study of the book of Romans. We need some fanfare here. Woo. I know it's hard to believe, but we're uh, approaching the last chapter of Paul's letter to the church in, Rome's, in Rome. Today we'll finish chapter 15, and next week we'll begin that final chapter, Romans 16. But since we've been away from Romans for a while, let me set the stage with a review of what we've seen so far in chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to this chapter. Paul begins chapter 15 by concluding his argument and his instructions from chapter 14 regarding the need for unity in the church. The need to, uh, if you remember this, welcome one another. The need to love and care for all who are part of the body of Christ, whether the weak or the strong, the Jew or the Gentile. In Romans 15, 7, speaking to all parties, he writes, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, unity within the body, welcoming one another, is, is, the, is based on the fact that Christ has welcomed you. And when you're welcomed... And when you welcome others, as Christ has welcomed you, this is uh, certainly for the good of one another, but ultimately it's for the glory of God. Paul then, in verses 8 through 13 of chapter 15, emphasizes that through Christ, God's mercy has been given to both Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles, the nations, the ethnos, all ethnic peoples. Paul says God welcomes all peoples, and therefore in His church we must certainly welcome one another. The weak must welcome the strong, the Jew must welcome the Gentile, and vice versa. Christians are to be a welcoming people. So to restate, as part of Paul's argument to welcome one another, he makes the point that it's always been God's plan to welcome all peoples into his kingdom. And then beginning in verse 14 of chapter 15, Paul uses this as sort of a, a jumping off point uh, to, to speak more personally. He writes about how God is using him to bring Gentiles, the ethnos, into his kingdom. 
And as Paul writes about himself, we're given significant insight into who Paul is, into his heart, into who he is, and why he does what he does. And the importance of this is not just a a biographical study of some historical figure. Understanding Paul's heart is applicable to us because the New Testament tells us to follow Paul's example. Most notably, 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul himself writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Do you remember that, uh, you have to be a little older here, that Gatorade commercial that showed the montage of video clips of Michael Jordan playing basketball, hanging out with kids, just being super cool, and of course, drinking Gatorade. The video was accompanied by a song that repeated over and over again, be like Mike, I want to be like Mike, if I could only be like Mike, implying and finally stating at the end, be like Mike, drink Gatorade. Well, as Christians, we're to be like Paul. Now, we don't have a video montage of scenes from Paul's life, which would be cool, but we, we, we do have something better. We have the Word of God that gives us great insight into this man of God. So the Word of God says, be like Paul as he's like Christ. Now, drinking uh, Gatorade will not cause us to be able to play basketball like Michael Jordan. But understanding the Word of God... Receiving the power of the Holy Spirit can cause us to be like the Apostle Paul. And in Romans 15, we've already seen some some important ways uh, we can be like Paul. We're called to be like Paul. In in part one of this series, uh, I don't know, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, a series of messages on Paul, we examined three aspects of his heart. First, we saw Paul's pastoral heart. In verses 14 and 15, we got a glimpse of his love and care for the, uh, for the Roman Christians. He encourages them. He says that they're full of goodness and knowledge, and that they're able to instruct one another. But he also humbly and boldly reminds them that as an apostle, he has the authority from God, and therefore they must obey his teachings. And all of this speaks to Paul's pastoral heart. He loved and cared for, he sought to encourage and instruct and correct the brothers and sisters in Christ. You could call Paul, as, as I, I did back then, uh, the shepherd of the, the pastor, the shepherd of the early church. So be like Paul, have a pastoral, a caring, a loving heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Then second, we saw Paul's priestly heart. In verse 16, Paul reveals that he saw himself as a a worshiping minister of Jesus Christ, that he was a priest before God, uh, that his work of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles was a priestly duty, and, and those who were converted became an acceptable offering to God. Paul, Paul saw himself as a priest, and he saw his work as, as worship unto the Lord. And in 1 Peter 2.9, the apostle there calls us a royal priesthood. So we can be like Paul and have a priestly heart, seeing our, our service, our work, our very lives as worship unto the Lord. Then third, we saw Paul's praising heart. 
In verses 17 through 19, Paul does some, some boasting, but not in himself. He lists several accomplishments, but he doesn't take the credit. Some things he's done, but he gives the credit to the Lord. He praises and glorifies God for all God has accomplished through him. Verse 18 makes this clear. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul knew that he belonged to God, to the Lord, uh, that, that God was working within him, that God had saved him, that the Holy Spirit was dwelling within him. Therefore, his purpose in life was to praise and honor and glorify God. So be like Paul. Have a praising heart. Live for God's praise and honor and glory. That's what we saw. Those three things in part one of this series. Then part two, we focused on one aspect. The fourth aspect of Paul's heart we looked at was Paul's missionary heart. Paul had a heart to obey Jesus' command and go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so in Romans 15.20, Paul expresses his heart's desire this way. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul had a clear missionary ambition, a heart to proclaim the gospel to those who had never heard, never heard the gospel, maybe never heard the name of Jesus, a heart to see men and women come to Christ, that they, they too might glorify God as he deserved. So be like Paul. Have a a missionary heart. Seek to take the gospel both to those in your immediate world and to be a part of sending and supporting and even going to places in the world where the gospel is unknown. Okay, so that's the review of what we've seen so far in Paul's heart. His, uh, can we name him? His pastoral heart. Oh, it's right there. (laughs) I can't see that. I got new glasses what do you think? All right. Now I can see it. Paul's, but it's hard to see this. When I see this, it's difficult to be me. Uh, Paul's pastoral heart, his priestly heart, his praising heart, and his missionary heart. So those are the things we've seen, we've reviewed. Now in verses 25 to 33 of Romans 15, I want us to see three more aspects of Paul's heart. Three more ways we should strive to imitate Paul as He imitates Christ. Three ways to be like Paul. Let me begin by reading these verses. Paul has just written that he's hoping to come to Rome. Then he continues, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers... By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that 
By God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's missionary heart is driving him to Spain to preach where the gospel is unknown. But he has other obligations to fulfill, other aspects of his, of his heart that he, that he must tend to first. And, and this reveals to us the fifth aspect of Paul's heart, his, his heart of compassion, Paul's compassionate heart. Paul's heart to proclaim the gospel where the name of Christ is unknown certainly reveals his compassion for the lost. There are people out there who don't know Jesus. There are people out there who are not worshiping God as he deserves. We need to go to them. But beginning in verse 25, we see that Paul also had great compassion for the believers, for the church, specifically believers in need. He writes, at present, however... Yes, I want to come to you, Rome, and then go to Spain. However, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. The saints, the the Christians in Jerusalem, were experiencing difficulty. Paul doesn't say why they needed aid. It may have been caused partly by a severe famine, which Abacus predicted in Acts 11.27. But no matter the reason, Paul believes that he must bring them aid aid which he's collected from churches in other areas. So there are churches in other areas seeking to support the church, the the believers in Jerusalem. Verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Macedonia and Achaia were provinces located in northern and southern Greece, respectively. Paul had planted churches in these regions on his earlier missionary journeys, including churches in Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And the believers in these churches were pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. The word contribution here is interesting. It's the Greek word, uh, you might be familiar with it, koinonia, which is often translated fellowship. Here it means to to have a common share in contributing to to Paul's collection, a common share in meeting the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. So we not only see Paul's heart of compassion for those in need, but but that heart is demonstrated by the early church as well. The the churches he has planted are imitating him. Uh, They have his heart as well, heart of compassion. And notice one more thing. These are all Greek Uh, Gentile churches contributing to the Jewish saints in Jerusalem. Paul points that out in verse 27. For they were pleased to do it. Paul repeats the fact that the believers in Greece were pleased to give to the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to compassionately give to the physical needs of their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. It seems by calling the mainly Gentile churches of Greece to give to the mainly Jewish churches of Jerusalem, Paul is continuing in this act to promote this idea of unity in the body of Christ. That no matter what your ethnic background is, we're all one under the headship of Jesus Christ. And we're not only to welcome one another, but to compassionately care for one another. But there's another aspect to their giving. Paul gets uh, theological here. He says, uh, and indeed, they owe it to them. They willingly did it. They willingly gave, but they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles 
have come to share in their spiritual blessings, there being the Jews, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. There's justification uh, for the Gentiles giving for their compassion. The Gentile Christians in Greece owe a debt to the Jewish believers. Why? Because as Paul has already explained in Romans chapter 11, the Gentiles have inherited from the Jews enormous blessings. It was to the Jews that came the law, the prophets, the word of God, and even Jesus Christ. And the Gentiles are like, whoa, we get all this. As John Sott writes in his commentary on this passage, in themselves, Gentiles are nothing but a wild olive shoot, quoting Romans 11. But having been grafted into God's ancient olive tree, they now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. It is right, therefore, for Gentiles to acknowledge what they owe to the Jews. When we Gentiles are thinking of the great blessings of salvation, we are hugely in debt to the Jews and always will be. So Paul sees the compassionate aid for the Gentile, from the Gentile churches as, as sort of this humble, material, symbolic demonstration of their indebtedness to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the fact that the Gentiles owed something to the Jews does not negate Paul's or their compassion. It, it just provides a, an additional motivating factor. And as we seek to share Paul's heart of compassion for those in need, especially in the body of Christ, we, we also have motivating factors. Certainly, we're to be motivated by our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Certainly, we're to be motivated uh, by the fact that we've received great blessings from the Lord. As Jesus points out in Luke chapter 12, to whom much is given, much is required. But maybe the greatest motivating factor, this is certainly true for me, for compassion for others is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, where the author writes, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Doing good to others, sharing what you have with those in need, being compassionate, making sacrifices is pleasing to God. I don't know about you, but I, I find that extremely motivating. In my life, there are so many times when I could list, which I won't, uh, times when I have not pleased the Lord, when I have done the opposite, times when I've chosen not to follow His will, but my own. And so, if there's something I can do, not to earn God's favor, I've received that. But, but just to please Him, to please my Lord, then, then that's something I want to do, and I hope it's something you want to do as well. So I would encourage you, be like Paul and have compassion on those in need and thus please your heavenly Father. So first, we've seen Paul's compassionate heart. Now we turn to Paul's visionary heart. Paul dreamed big dreams. He was a, a visionary. He had a vision for what God would accomplish through him. God had given Paul a mission he was to be the apostle, the missionary to the Gentile, to the nations. And from this calling came Paul's vision. It just opened up before him. We saw this when we looked at his missionary heart. 
In verses 20 and 21 of chapter 11, he writes, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul had this burning passion, this vision, to walk up to someone who had never heard of Jesus and tell them the greatness of God's love for them through Christ. This vision to reach the unreached is what caused Paul to write the letter to the church in Rome. We talked about that. He wanted them to help him go and preach the gospel in Spain. In verse 22 he writes, This, my mission to the unreached, is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, remember we talked about that, he hadn't reached every person, but he'd planted churches in these regions, The name of Jesus was going forth in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Rome wasn't his ultimate goal, continuing on to Spain was, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed some company, your company for a while. Paul hadn't gone to Rome yet because he was working on his vision in other areas. And he was planning to come to Rome so they would help him along his way to fulfilling his vision in Spain. So clearly, this visionary heart was fundamental to Paul's uh, uh, mission, to his missionary heart that was given to him by God. However, when we get to verse 25, we see how Paul's vision sort of relates to real life. Let me summarize it this way. If Paul had done what he wanted, he would have immediately set sail for Rome. However, as we saw, he first had to complete the important business of taking an offering to the poor in Jerusalem, which he'd collected from the Gentile churches. This was a a, a little bit of a detour from his main vision, and he plans to return to the main road soon. In verse 28, he writes, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. This is Paul's plan. This is his uh, mission. This is his vision. However, the book of Acts tells us that things didn't go as planned. Paul did deliver the offering with great success to Jerusalem, but he was almost killed by an unruly mob and escaped by night Uh, with Caesar's soldiers. Then he underwent shipwreck and deprivation before arriving in Rome, uh, to, to Rome in chains. As to his vision to go to Spain, uh, we really can't be sure whether he ever got there or not. Modern scholars in, are inclined to say that he didn't. Church tradition says he did. The Bible doesn't say it all. It's silent. But for our purposes, in seeing Paul's visionary heart, whether he made it to Spain or not, uh, it doesn't really matter. We must understand that a vision, uh, a vision, even a vision from God, is not a promise from God. If God promises, then we can be assured of the outcome. God has promised us, those who trust in Christ, He's promised us eternal life in His presence, and that's a a guarantee that will happen. But not necessarily so with a vision. A vision from God is meant to set us on a certain path, but it does not guarantee a specific outcome. 
It seems to me that the value of a God-given vision is not whether we achieve it or not, but in setting out and seeking to achieve it. This has been a great lesson for me personally as a pastor. God gave me a vision uh, in His power to proclaim the truth of His Word. To see men and women converted, uh, growing in, in their relationship with Christ, growing in their love for God and their maturity. And to be honest, from my limited perspective, which I acknowledge, the vision I was given uh, is, was greater than the reality I've experienced. But what I've come to understand is that God is not interested in whether I reach uh, my destination, he's much more interested in how I get there. To us, arrival is everything. I really gotta, that's gotta happen. But to God, the journey is most important. For it's in the journey that we are perfected, that God works on us. And it's in the journey that we sometimes experience hardship and difficulties and disappointments. But as we trust in Him, Even and especially in those things, that's when he's glorified. That's when uh, we trust in him and he receives the glory. So I thank God for the vision he gave me and for the fact that it hasn't panned out exactly as I saw in my mind. Because his ways are greater than my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. He reigns and I trust that he's doing immeasurably more than I can ask or think or understand in my life and in the life of others, in the life of this church. As Pastor Kent Hughes writes, it is of greatest importance that we have hearts with dreams, great visions of what God can do with us. We need our castles in the sky, our spains. We need to see spires, a way of on the world's rim to dream of victories and accomplishments from God. But not of all of us will will see the end of our visions, will not see them met. But that's all right, because God is more interested in the process than the prize. His focus is on the journey, not the destination. Someday we'll stand before God and, and we'll possibly say, God, This is the vision you gave me. I I didn't make it. I'm sorry. And he'll say, yes, but that was in my hands. You were a great traveler. Enter the joy that I prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Those are the words we want to hear, aren't they? Enter into your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Whether we reach that, what we envisioned as the end or not, We've been promised that we'll enter into this rest. Paul then concludes this section on a a remarkably positive note. He says in verse 29, I know that when I come to you, speaking to the Romans, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Paul was an optimist. Paul was sure he would come to Rome in the blessings, the joy, the happiness of Christ. He'd come blessed himself to be there, and he'd come giving them blessings as the apostle. But little did he know that his arrival would be in chains. At the time of writing this, Paul didn't see himself coming to Rome in chains, escorted by guards. 
But that didn't, doesn't negate his vision. Even in chains, he came in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Paul was not daunted by his circumstances. So be like Paul. If God gives you a vision, and I pray he will, for how he wants to use you, for what he wants to do with you, for, for where he wants to, you to go, for how he wants you to develop in, in your relationship with him, pursue it with all of your heart. But don't be discouraged by the outcome. There, there may be de- detours along the way. There may be difficulty. He may be giving you this vision to set you out. And, and you know, sometimes visions change. The outcome is always in the Lord's hands. Just enjoy. Rejoice in the journey as you seek to follow the direction God gives. So we've seen Paul's compassion and visionary heart. And finally, let's look at Paul's praying heart. Paul believed in the power of prayer. Or uh, better said, he believed in the power of God to whom he prayed. And he calls the church in Rome to share his beliefs about prayer. In verses 30 through 33, he writes, well, beginning in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul appeals to his brothers in Rome. We share the same Lord who is Jesus Christ. And we have the same love given to us by the Spirit of God. I have love for you and you have love for me because of the fruit of the Spirit is love. So would you please strive together with me in prayer. Paul saw prayer as a as powerful instrument in accomplishing the work of God. And he also saw it as a struggle that the church enters into together. I've often heard and even said myself that prayer is a difficult thing. I, I, people say, I just struggle with prayer. I love to read the Word of God, but I just struggle to pray. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. Sometimes it's difficult to know how or what to pray. And Paul acknowledges that prayer is not easy. And yet he calls for prayer. Prayer may not be easy, but it's effective. And so he asked that, that the brothers in Rome pray for him, pray that I will be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that, that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul asked, he prayed for two things. These are Paul's prayer requests. Would you pray, with, pray for me? He sent them out on the not the email prayer chain, but on the slow mail prayer chain. First, that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So this is Judea, the province where Jerusalem was. And second, that his service in Jerusalem may be acceptable. Paul's asking them to pray for his ministry, for protection as he goes to Jerusalem, and for, uh, for his service that, that he does with the gift that he's collected and, the, and his other ministry might be acceptable, acceptable to the believers, that they might accept it as from God. He's asking them to pray that God will protect him and use him for his purpose is in Jerusalem so that he might continue on his journey, continue his vision to go to Rome. This is just a a typical missionary prayer right here. 
you know, I'm going into this area. God, protect me and use me. Protect me for your glory that I can get the job done and then use me. That, that it might be acceptable. That, that, that the, the, the finances and then the words that go with them would be acceptable by the, the church there. And according to the book of Acts, his prayers were answered. In Acts 21, 17 through 20, which we're not going to read, I'll just highlight, uh, it records his, his offerings, joyous reception, and the resulting unity of the churches. In addition, Paul was granted a spectacular deliverance that could only be attributed to God, as uh, Acts 20 through, 21 through 23 makes clear. So the prayers of the Roman church brought great power to bear in Paul's life. He was protected, delivered from his enemies, and his ministry was successful. Paul had called his brothers to join him in my struggle, my striving in prayer. Literally, to agonize together with me. And that's what they did. To those who share Paul's heart for prayer, the request, uh, uh, brother, sister, pray for me, is not a cliché. And, and neither is the response, I, I will, I'll pray for you. Paul's heart demonstrated his uh, belief in prayer. Uh, is there any, some, I got a text this week uh, from someone, and, and it's fine, but it just illustrates, you know, he said, he said, is there anything I can do for you besides prayer? You know, now you can take that one way, prayer's not enough, and that's not how he meant it. He said, I, I'm praying for you, but I'm willing to do more. I'm willing to do other things as well. But prayer is the most important thing. So what about you and me? Do you have a heart for prayer? When you're facing uh, difficulty, as Paul was, in, in all kinds of areas, I mean, there are plenty. Is it your practice to call your brothers and sisters to strive with you in prayer? When you receive a, a verbal uh, or an email prayer request, do you take it seriously? Do you take the time to strive with your fellow believers in prayer? I know for me it's sometimes difficult. But when I think of Paul, when I think I seek to imitate him as he imitated Christ, who prayed all the time, John 17 is one big example. This motivates me, it encourages me, it grows my heart for prayer. It causes me to be like Paul, who who's quite quite a man of prayer. So today, we've seen Paul's compassionate, visionary, and praying heart. And maybe one of those aspects of Paul's heart stood out to you. Maybe as, as the word went forth, as I was speaking, you said, yeah, that's, I'm struggling with that area. Maybe you might need to exercise more compassion for those in need around you. Maybe you need to take specific steps. Maybe you know of a brother or sister in Christ who needs who needs help, needs material blessing. Even if it doesn't fit, maybe, maybe your vision isn't that. Maybe you're not, you think, I don't really have that gift. I'm not sure if Paul did either, but it was important. It doesn't fit in your vision, your plans. Do it, have compassion, for it's pleasing to God. Or maybe you need a vision from God. Or you've gotten away from the vision that He's, he's given you. In either case, remember, it's not the arrival 
that matters. It's the journey. Remember and return to seeking to accomplish the vision God has given you, whatever that might be. Or maybe you need to do some uh, striving in prayer. So that, uh, that sort of sets it up, right? If you, if you say strive, then you know it's going to be hard. So you know when you get down to it, you know, you're going to start to nod off. You're going to start, your mind's going to start to water. And wa- it's not going to water because that would be weird. It's going to wander. And so strive, you know, don't give up. Strive, agonize, get back to it. Praying for our nation, that would be great. Praying for your church, I'd appreciate that. Your friends, your family, yourself. Praying that God's will will be done in, 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 in all of these areas of life. So I just want to encourage us today and in coming weeks to choose at least one aspect of Paul's heart. You know, you can choose it from the ones today. You can go back to other messages. Choose an aspect of Paul's heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe just one at this point. Maybe there's a couple. And then seek to develop, to grow that part of your heart. Seek to be like Paul as he was like Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this example, this man who was totally uh, opposed to you at one time. But you grabbed hold of him and you turned him around and you made him into something amazing. Not because he was amazing, but because you're amazing. And I pray and I know you can do that to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you. That we could use Paul as an example of what it looks like to to follow hard after you. To have a heart for you in so many areas, Lord. I pray for each of us that, that we would think about these things and that, that as we see ourselves lacking, we would return to Paul as an example. We would return to you in prayer and asking you to just give us a new hearts. Hearts that trust in you and have faithfulness in you. Hearts of vision. Hearts of prayer. Hearts of compassion. Lord, and that you would use us for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.